So I have a, a 1975 CJ5 Jeep, and uh, I bought it while I was in college. It was not a practical vehicle at all. Um, you know, it was open top most of the year, and, and when it had a top on it, it's this flappy, you know, loose top. Uh, it was not practical, but it was love at first sight. Uh, my roommate used to tease me. Uh, he and I drove out to this house to look at this Jeep that was listed on, I think it was Craigslist back then. Is that who he bought stuff back then, I think? And, um, and uh, we turned into the driveway, and he said, your eyes just lit up. He said, I knew you were buying that thing before you got out of the car. And, um, and uh, so we've had that. We went on our first date in that car. Got stopped by cops on our first date in that car. We did. We did. Story for another time. Yep, yep. Uh, that, that Jeep, almost 50 years old now, has lived many lives. Uh, I have broken and repaired most parts on it out four-wheeling. Um, uh, for a season, it was the snowplow at our family's cabin. Uh, and now, it just sits in disrepair. Uh, it's been years since I've run the thing, since I've even just taken the time to start it back up and make sure... It still goes. And uh, recently someone offered to buy it, someone who saw it up there at the cabin, and, and I couldn't even entertain the idea because I love that vehicle. I've had it for forever, right? And, and what's interesting is though it sits in disrepair right now, I don't perceive it in that way. When I think about that Jeep, I think about what it will be someday when I've got the finances and the time to restore it. And so today is an interesting text and, and challenging in a number of ways, um, but I think that illustration kind of represents what we'll witness in God, both in the, the prophet Hosea and throughout the story of, of Scripture, that is a God that desires restoration, a God that does not give up, a God that will not quit on his people and his covenant and his plan for this world, a God that will always move towards and a God that will always restore. Hosea 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barry, during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. By the way, I was really nervous to read that verse. That's a lot of names, but... <laughs> I had to take a moment. <laughs> fortunately, we're all firmly rooted now in the history, the moment in time that this happened because of that. Isn't that funny? You get in your head. Hosea starts off by giving us a little bit of context of a, this guy named Hosea, and that God's word came to Hosea, the prophet Hosea, during the reigns of these kings. And so let's look back a little bit at the history of Israel so we can really root ourselves in, in the context, in the history of what is happening in Israel right now. And so after God brought Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert for 40 years, then they conquered the promised land the land of Canaan, and then they asked God for a king. And they were a united monarchy as under King Saul and King David and King Solomon until Solomon died, and then his son came to rule, and that was Jeroboam the first. And during his reign, Israel broke off from Judah. A whole, a whole story there. You're welcome to go back in First Kings and read about it. But during that time... It's called in Israel's history the divided kingdom. And when that division happened, 
the king in Israel was worried that if the people traveled down to Judah to worship Yahweh, then they would, their allegiance would turn and they would want to go back to the king there. And so what happened in that time in history is idols were cast and temples were set up to worship um, gods other than Yahweh. And so Hosea is called by God to speak God's word and God's message to Israel. And this is 200 years after the kingdom has split. And this, he, the king at this time is Jeroboam the second. So it's been a few generations since the split happened. And during this time, Jeroboam the second, he was a great military guy and he had expanded the territory of Israel and things were going well in some senses, for the nation. It was a prosperous time, a time of wealth, and yet it was incredibly corrupt. And so God sends Hosea to prophesy, and he will prophesy for about 25 years. And the book of Hosea is a collection of his messages to the kingdom of Israel. And he'll prophesy for 25 years leading up to the Assyrian conquest all the way up to that when Assyria comes and takes over takes over Israel. And so as we dive into Hosea, it's important for us to kind of remember where we're at in Israel's history and also to remember that we're reading poetry. And so there's going to be a whole lot of vivid graphic imagery and metaphor in here with the with the purpose of really getting messages across. Yeah, what's the purpose of a prophet to shock the people with their words, to to open their eyes to a reality that was incredibly important to them. A caveat before we continue in our text in the book of Hosea today. Uh, this can be a very triggering text and and we want to prepare ourselves for that. It is a story about marital unfaithfulness and uh, that marital unfaithfulness that we read about in the book of Hosea uh, reflects the relationship that God had with Israel. So uh, we just want you to understand that is uh, the subject matter of the book of Hosea. And if that's challenging, um, uh, please, uh, we'll gladly process and pray with you uh, about uh, anything that is stirred up in the text today. Here we are in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So what's happening in the beginning of this book is God has called uh, a prophet to go and, and speak his message to the Israelite people. Uh, but in addition, he's going to invite um, Hosea to kind of live out uh, a, a metaphor for, uh, to live out a picture of the relationship God has with his covenant people, Israel, uh, to highlight the unfaithfulness of the Israelite people. And so as the story unfolds, um, they have three children together, and names in Israel were a really important thing. And so they, their firstborn child was a son, and they named him Jezreel. God told Hosea to name this son Jezreel, because in Jezreel, um, it was a place where there had been a whole lot of violence, a whole lot of, of war and bloodshed and um 
just significant things happening in this place. And so God says, soon I will punish the house of Jehu for the massacre that happened at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So even the names of the children will play a role in this story. The second daughter is named Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. You know, when we were, when we were pregnant, uh, we had a lot of fun conversations about different names we could name our children. And some of them... We never proposed that one, though. We never proposed that no, one. You know, and some of loved. them were, were silly and goofy and names we wouldn't choose. And I read this and it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a really strong name. Not loved, for God says, I will no longer show love to Israel. And then the third child is a son, Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God, says the Lord. And so these names, it's important for us to realize, do not reflect these individual children. Okay? So this story is, is not actually um, reflecting the individual children that they had, but rather their names are playing a greater part in the story of God, in the message that God is trying to get across to Israel. And so we're going to come back to these names later. It would be helpful if you had a Bible, so pull it up on your phone, or there's probably one in front of you, because we're going to have to move really quickly to cover a, a book in a day. So just so you have an idea uh, where we're at, you're welcome to, to pull that Bible out. Um, chapter 2 is God's rebuke, uh, and it is a rebuke that speaks the language of the marital relationship between Hosea and Gomer, but is speaking of God's relationship to Israel. And it uses harsh and kind of graphic uh, metaphors. We won't read all of it, but uh, just to get an idea of what Hosea is speaking to the people. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts, right? It's speaking of a very physical human relationship between Hosea and Gomer, but what it's speaking of in reality, it's a metaphor for God's relationship with Israel, who has been adulterous, who has turned away from God and turned to other gods, which we'll see in more detail in a minute. Chapter 2, verse 13, God continues, I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, declares the Lord. And so God says, I will punish Israel and judgment is coming because you've broken covenant with me, your God, and you've gone after these Baals and these are Canaanite gods and there's different Canaanite gods, but there's a, they considered them the gods of life and fertility, the God of storms that would bring about rain and dew. And as they worshiped these gods, their worship included prostitution and ritual sex and human sacrifices. And so like the worship of these gods was truly deplorable. Yeah, it's interesting um, and, and tragic to see in this text just how depraved things had become. Sometimes when we read this text, uh, we think of uh, people trying so hard but just not quite living up. We're talking about child sacrifice and things like that, right? We're, we're talking about a vile uh, thing that God cannot stand in this world. A good and loving God will uh, deal with evil in this world, and that's what the prophet Hosea is coming to tell Israel. And yet, it's so fascinating, uh, just here in chapter 2 already, uh, we catch glimpses of hope. 
the prophets will speak of judgment and, and punishment to come, but there's always hope in the stories as well. And it's fascinating to see how close together the vile and the hopeful can be. In, in chapter 2, verse 18, in that day I will make a covenant for them uh, with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you uh, to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. With betrothal, um, uh, I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. Uh, ahead to verse 23, I will plant for her, uh, her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. They're the names of those children again. Exactly. The, the names, you, you are my people and I will love you. In Hosea, in Hosea chapter 3, as we continue the story, um, we read of, of Hosea restoring relationship with Gomer. So in, in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, The Lord said to me, Go and show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of fun talking about sacred raisin cakes <laughs> this week. So, um, so let's just address that. We're like, what? The sacred raisin cakes? Why is this in here? The raisin cakes were a delicacy at that time. And, and in the context, it makes sense that uh, these raisin cakes were, were, were used in the feast for the Baal worship. And so it's not about the raisin cakes. Feel free to eat the raisins um, and put raisins in your cake and in your salad. It's really about worshiping other gods. And so the Lord says to Hosea, go and show love to your wife again and love her as I love the Israelites. At this point, Israel has broken covenant with God and God has every right, so to speak, to walk away from Israel because that covenant has been broken. He has every right to turn his back on Israel, just like Israel has turned her back on God. But God commands Hosea to go and find your wife and love her, show faithfulness, even when she has showed unfaithfulness. And I think this is so powerful because it reveals to us the character of God. We see God in, in the story of Hosea, God is angry and God is grieved by the idolatry. He is grieved by what Israel has done, but he will not give up on them. He will not give up on Israel. God's love and faithfulness depends on God, not on Israel's actions. So God remains loving. God remains faithful, even though Israel has betrayed him and has sinned. 
chapters 4 through 13 of the book of Hosea then are um, a compilation of Hosea's prophecies against Israel over the course of his lifetime. Uh, Likely Hosea, uh, along with in the future scribes, took and compiled those messages that they could be uh, remembered, that we would have them here today. And in chapters 4 through 13, which I won't read from, but you're welcome to just flip pages and read a sentence at a time and you'll quickly get a feel for what the tone of this is. Um, God lays out his accusations against Israel. Uh, He speaks of Israel's unrepentance. God, as he continues to come back and invite them to restore covenant relationships, uh, God God lays out the accusation, you have been unrepentant and you've not been faithful. Um, These chapters speak of God's judgment. Uh, They speak of Assyria, a nation, a, a wicked nation, by the way, that will come and overthrow Israel. And in fact, in the lifetime of many of the hearers of Hosea's prophecies, Assyria will come and they will uh, conquer Israel in a brutal fashion. And then they'll ship off uh, a majority of the most skilled and capable people in Israel back to their capitals and to their cities to use them uh, to promote their economy. And so we see here um, in chapters 4 through 13, God's accusation, uh, God's calling them out for for their uh, unfaithfulness as well as the consequence of those actions. We also see in Hosea God's love for Israel. So read with me Hosea 11, starting in verse 1. And this is God speaking of Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim, referring to Israel again. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize that it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. You have this metaphor, this image of God as a parent. God as a divine parent drawing in, drawing in a child and putting this child right on his cheek. What a beautiful image of, of love. A parent who cares for their children and teaches them how to walk, who snuggles them and holds them tight. And even as Israel rebels against God, God loves them. It's interesting here, out of Egypt, I called you. It's re- here in Hosea, it's referring to the Exodus, the Israelites coming out of the Exodus when God liberated and saved Israel. And this Matthew actually quotes this verse when Jesus is in Egypt as a refugee when he was a child and Herod was killing off all the boys to, to kill off Jesus. And it's so interesting that in that place where where Hosea is quoted, God himself, Jesus, is the one coming out of Egypt, and Jesus is the liberator. Jesus is the freer. Jesus is the savior. So this image of liberation and freedom extends from way in the beginning of the Bible all the way throughout to Jesus. And then chapter 14, maybe you can imagine what the final chapter of a book like this would be. 
It speaks of God's justice. Interestingly enough, we would hear the word justice a little bit differently than it's meant in Scripture. You speak, you see in Scripture, the primary use of the term justice speaks of a restorative justice, a God who is restoring right relationship with humanity and, and with this world. And so in chapter 14, we hear that. Uh, God's invitation to forgiveness and a restored relationship with him. I'm going to abbreviate the reading for time's sake. Um, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Verse 4, I will I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, and he will bloom like a lily. Verse 7, people will dwell again in his shade, and they will flourish like the grain, and they will blossom like the vine. In this text, we see clearly um, God's character. A God who desires restoration. Uh, a God, uh, not often like we think of God, you know, vengeful or uh, holding a grudge. No, we see clearly a God who desires to restore humanity to himself. A God that in spite of all of the vile things and all the evil in this world cannot give up on his covenant and his love for his people. At the end of Hosea, we have like a little editor's note. At the very end, in ver- uh, chapter 14, verse 9, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. In the book of Hosea, as we read through it, we read of God's unique call to Hosea. But there's also some relevant and really powerful applications for all of us as we read through this book. And the editor who compiled all these messages that Hosea spoke says, who's wise? Who's discerning? Let them think about this. It's a, it's an invitation. It's a call to discernment. The, the way of God, the ways of God are good and right and loving and faithful. And these are things that we get to think about. We get to reflect in how we choose to engage the world and how we choose to engage with God. We are invited to live out and reflect the character of God. This character that we see in Hosea, a God who is love, a God who is loving and faithful even when, um, when Israel is unfaithful, that we get to live in to who God is. It's hard. I had, I listened to Hosea a few, a few times in prep for this, and it's sometimes really hard to read these images, but there are some really beautiful truths and invitations for us in the book of Hosea. Yes, yeah, so well in this text, we uh, have opportunity to learn about the history of Israel. Most importantly, what we see in this text is the character of God. And so that's, I think, where we're invited to to consider, to find ourselves in the text as the author ends it with, so, so live into this text. We find ourselves today with an invitation, uh, to live into, uh, our understanding of a God that is loving and gracious. Uh, Jesus, when, when he walked on earth as an Israelite man, uh, he, um, he told a parable 
right along the lines of this story and the story of Israel. Uh, often in our Bibles, it's called the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, but in reality, it's a story of two sons estranged from their father. It's a story of a son that asks for his inheritance and runs off and he spends uh, all of his father's money, all of his inheritance on uh, wild living and, and debauchery. And, and he finds himself with no food and eventually remembers his father's household and desires to be back there. Maybe just as a servant, his life would be so much better because he'd lost everything. And uh, and he goes back to his father, and his father sees him at a distance and comes running with open arms. This is the character of God as seen in Hosea, as seen in, in Jesus' story, his illustration that he was teaching to the Israelite people. God will come running with open arms. But the story ends in a very unusual way. The father throws a celebration because his son has returned. His son is alive, but the older brother who's been real responsible, uh, he gets upset. And he won't enter the party, he won't be near his father, he won't celebrate with the family, because he feels entitled to something more than that rebellious son. And so what's fascinating about the text is both sons find themselves estranged from their father, out of their father's presence at some point. In the same way, Israel found themselves, those people off squandering uh, God's good inheritance, uh, also a people invited to return, and they found God's embrace. And then eventually, as Jesus comes to earth, uh, the Pharisees kind of represent that older brother who then rejects the father's invitation to come into the celebration. Ultimately, in this text in Hosea, and then in a a similar story, a similar message in uh, Jesus' parable of the prodigal sons, we learn this. Uh, Humanity uh, is prone to turn away from God. We are prone to make decisions that are harmful to ourselves and others, but in spite of all of that, God is faithful, and God is inviting us back. I think that's a message we need to hear over and over God's love and God's faithfulness is stronger than our sinfulness. God's love and God's faithfulness does not depend on us and what we do. God is love. God is faithful. No amount of us rebelling or turning our backs on God can diminish God's love for us, can diminish God's faithfulness towards us. Some of us um, may believe, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what line I've crossed. Can God's grace really cover me where I'm at? Am I past the point of no return? Where's, am I pa- over that line? And we're here to say today that there is no line with God. That God always invites us back. God always is calling us to run into his arms. And God is always there with the love and the healing and the forgiveness that we need when we turn to God. All of us in this room and all all of humanity, all over the world, we are all invited to experience God's love and God's grace. As we repent and as we turn back to God, to experience God's divine healing and restoration. Friends, I want us to hear very loud and clear today that we are forever loved by God and that we are forever invited to find new life in Jesus. Let's pray as we close. God, we thank you for the day. 
for the time to dig into a text um, uh, with ups and downs, uh, with uh, hard truths and also beautiful revelations. God, I pray as, um, as our week unfolds that we might be reminded of your love and your faithfulness and that, God, we might turn away from the things uh, that drive a wedge between us and you, that we might turn away from the things that are harmful to ourselves and to others, knowing, God, that you run with open arms to embrace us and to invite us back to your presence. I pray, God, for those of us that have yet to know uh, your loving embrace, God, that this might be a week in which uh, we perceive and receive. Spirit, we invite you to work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.